Welcome to the Cocky Ride Home for Thursday, January 14th, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. The workaround that the Unicode Consortium used to make sure we still get new emojis in 2021, pandemic or not. Facial hair is biologically useless, so why do humans have it? And the SpaceX Dragon cargo capsule returning this evening will be carrying on it a case of 12 unopened bottles of red wine. But why? Here are some of the cool things from the news today. We've experienced a lot of cancelled things in the last year. Conferences, concerts, family reunions, and a lot of shortages, toilet paper, homework and equipment, coins... And there's one more thing that was very nearly added to that list. New emojis. Specifically, new emojis that would be coming out this year in 2021 because we did get new emojis in 2020. Jennifer Daniel, chair of the Emoji Subcommittee for the Unicode Consortium, explained on her Substack, quote, As the world shut down in early 2020, Unicode, a volunteer-based organization responsible for encoding the world's languages, quickly realized their yearly release was going to be delayed six months. As the chair of the Emoji Subcommittee, I wrapped my head around what this would mean. We'd likely miss the deadline to ship emoji leaving us loudly crying until 2022, end quote. And she ended that statement, of course, with four of the loudly crying emoji, the one with tears streaming down its face. The Unicode Consortium is in charge of maintaining Unicode, the standard for encoding, representing, and handling text in writing systems. And while they've become more well-known in the mainstream over the last several years because they're the ones who get to decide which new emojis make the cut, they're also in charge of other symbol sets and over 154 modern and historic scripts. This is especially important for scripts like Arabic and Hebrew. The Unicode Consortium sets the standard code charts and coding methods, etc. for all kinds of scripts and symbols on our computers. Things like umlauts and currency symbols, and yes, since 2009, emojis. Roughly every year, they put out a new version update that includes new scripts or expansions or corrections to them, and increasingly, each year, new emojis. But with complications from the pandemic, Unicode 14 would be delayed, meaning they would not be able to code new emojis and get them to operating systems until 2022. So, Jennifer Daniel and her colleagues found a workaround to bring the good people of the world new-ish emojis. Enter the Emoji ZWJ Sequences. An emoji ZWJ sequence is multiple emojis or other Unicode characters joined by a ZWJ, or zero-width joiner, that display as one single emoji on supported platforms. So you know when certain new emojis get released, especially people emojis with skin tones or genders, and you haven't updated your phone yet, but your friend who has texts you, let's say, a black woman scientist emoji. But what you see on your phone is a scientist emoji plus the little woman symbol and a dark brown box. That emoji, while coded as a new one for a version update, was created as an emoji ZWJ sequence. In other words, it was created entirely using existing emojis or Unicode characters. And tons of new emojis are made this way. The rainbow pride flag is made up of the white flag emoji and the rainbow emoji. The family of four emoji is made up of the individual emojis for a man, a woman, a girl child, and a boy child, or whatever configuration you want. 
Ones like the surfing woman are made up of the person surfing emoji and the woman symbol. This also explains why some emojis use up more characters than others on platforms like Twitter. Emojipedia points out that while some emojis like the women with bunny ears is just one character on Twitter because it's made up of just one single code point, others, like for example any variation of the couple with heart emoji, can take up to six characters or more. You've got, for the couple with heart emoji, the woman emoji, a zero-width joiner, the heart emoji, a variation selector to tell the system to use the emoji version of the heart and not the text version, and then another zero-width joiner and another woman emoji. If you wanted to specify their skin tones, it would take up even more characters. Individual platforms can use emoji ZWJ sequences to make any combinations they want, like WhatsApp very briefly had an Olympic rings emoji made up of five circle characters with zero-width joiners, Microsoft has a slew of cats like Ninja Cat, Astro Cat, and Hacker Cat that it creates using sequences with cat emojis and then emojis like the silhouette, the rocket, and the laptop. These emojis tend to remain platform-specific. They'd show up as a string of boxes and symbols if sent to another platform. And this is also something you can do yourself using the Emoji Kitchen for Android that Google launched last February. Basically, you can open your Gboard, select an emoji, and then combine with another one. You can make things like a ghost cowboy, a smiling pineapple, a face crying tears of joy with its tongue sticking out, or any of the 14,000 combinations now available, but only on Android. Sometimes, like the example of the couple kissing, or the rainbow flag, and so many others, the Unicode Consortium makes these ZWJ sequences available on all platforms, once you update your software. And that is how they are preventing us from having a year without new emojis, by having culled through all of their proposals and decided on a few new emojis that could be made using ZWJ sequences. Now, anyone can submit an emoji proposal, but one thing they're really particular about is preventing redundancy, and that is especially relevant when it comes to ZWJ sequences, because in some cases, can't you just use an actual sequence of emojis? For example, one of the new ones that will be coming out is a totally metal emoji of a red heart on fire, but wouldn't a fire emoji followed by a heart emoji create the same effect? Jennifer Daniel argues no. She said that, quote, implies a certain amount of lust. A heart literally on fire has roots in religious iconography and also gets you somewhere closer to pain slash pleasure than love slash lust, end quote. I don't quite get it, but the heart on fire does look awesome, so I'm here for it. The other new emojis will include a face exhaling, a distressed face with spiral eyes that I think will get a lot of use, a face in the clouds that's meant to represent brain fog and invisible disabilities, a bandaged heart, way more skin tone combinations for the kissing couple emoji, and some more androgynous bearded people emojis. Daniel notes that it usually takes about a year for more emojis to roll out, so look for these on software updates toward the end of this year. A common quarantine activity this past year was growing out facial hair. For many, it was out of a newfound lack of obligation. For others, the limited social and professional engagements meant a chance to finally experiment with what happens on the other side of the awkward phase of a beard or mustache you never had the time to plow through before. 
And while beards have been increasingly in for the past decade, we're definitely seeing a slight reemergence of the popularity of mustaches now. And these kinds of facial hair fads have always ebbed and flowed with time and across cultures. But why do we have facial hair? And biologically speaking, it doesn't really serve a point. Josh Clark and Chuck Bryant from the podcast Stuff You Should Know tackled this question in their new book, which was excerpted in Wired last month, and here is what they said, quote, In the early days of studying this stuff, evolutionary biologists thought it might serve thermoregulatory or prophylactic purposes similar to body hair and pubic hair. Beards and mustaches are around the mouth, after all, and the mouth takes in food and other particles that might carry disease. Beards and mustaches are also on the face, which is connected to the head, which loses a lot of heat out of its top if it isn't covered by hair. It all makes sense when you look at it that way, except there's a problem with this theory. It leaves out 50% of the population. Natural selection is ruthless, and it has sent a lot of species the way of the dodo. For instance, the dodo. But rarely, if ever, does it select for a trait in a species like that and leave half the population hanging, especially the half that makes all the babies, i.e. the most important half. If facial hair were meant to perform important functions, it would be present across the sexes. End quote. So the most common thought, one even Darwin noodled around with, is that facial hair is an ornamental trait meant to help attract mates. Jeffrey Miller, an evolutionary psychologist at the University of New Mexico, says that's one of the main evolutionary explanations, and the other is intrasexual competition, as in competition among males. It's an intimidation tactic for potential rivals. It can signal things like formidability, wisdom, godliness, and virility. And that element is apparently actually stronger than the attraction to the opposite sex thing, mostly because it's not a consistent attraction factor. And not only do potential mates have their own personal preferences, but it also tends to be a density thing. Not the density of your thick, bushy beard, but the density of people in the population who have beards. If all the males have beards, it's no longer as appealing. Someone clean-shaven is more unique and alluring, and vice versa. The appeal of unique rare traits is called negative frequency dependence, or NFD. But because that unique rare thing has such a competitive advantage, it can then become overrepresented over time, so then it loses its rarity advantage and something else floats to the top. It's a cycle. And quoting again, this yo-yoing back and forth between common and uncommon doesn't just explain the variability in the attractiveness of facial hair from population to population, it also explains why the dominant theory for the evolution of facial hair has begun to resolve around intersexual competition. Because it's not enough simply to be attractive, you also have to be more attractive than the people around you, and in enough of the right ways to stand out. This goes a long way toward understanding the ebb and flow in the popularity of facial hair across time. Sporting a killer stash or a bushy beard is only effective evolutionarily as long as it still makes you part of the hot new guppy thing around the pond. When it makes you old news, shaving becomes the more effective choice. End quote. But leaning hard into the idea of beards as evolutionarily relevant to competition among rivals, biologists Ethan Baceres, Stephen Nalway, and David Carrier published a study last year in which they suggest beards may have evolved to absorb punches to the face. They did an experiment using a fiber epoxy skull and various amounts of sheepskin facial hair to show that, quote, Peak force was 16% greater, and total energy absorbed was 37% greater in the furred compared to the plucked samples. End quote. 
And they used those findings to build on ongoing research about fighting and the ways the human body may have evolved in relation to that punitively natural activity. Although National Geographic calls some of those other studies, such as ones hypothesizing that hands evolved to punch and faces evolved to withstand punches, quote, bro science. A Science Alert article specifically about the facial hair absorbing the force of punches study points out some possible holes. First, that sheepskin is way different than human facial hair, so it would be interesting to see a more accurate analysis there. And the study also points to lions as an example, as having evolved to have manes to protect their neck and jaw, but other scientists over the years have shown that's not exactly the whole story there. For one, lions tend to attack each other on the back and hips, so it's not exactly being protective. But the research continues, and the team is going to look further into, quote, the effect beards have on the accuracy of a punch. There are also untested possibilities that even a thin bit of facial hair might help a fist slide on by or reduce the risk of lacerations, end quote. So maybe there's some protective advantage when it comes to fighting, but more likely it's just an ornamental thing, both to attract mates and to show off to your rivals. Either way, one of the best things I learned from diving into this is that there is such thing as the National Beard and Mustache Championships. At least here in the US, but it looks like there is also a world championship, so if your quarantine beard has become especially impressive, you might want to look into it. After all, the only point of it, apparently, is to show off to your peers. So on the December 9th episode of this show, I did an overview of Booze in Space and mentioned the French company Space Cargo Unlimited, who had sent a whole crate of red wine to the space station in November of 2019. Unfortunately for the astronauts on board the International Space Station, the wine wasn't for drinking. And now the 12 bottles of Bordeaux are on their way back to Earth entirely unopened alongside 320 Merlot and Cabernet Sauvignon vine snippets, or canes, as well as a bunch of mice and thousands of pounds of miscellaneous gear. It's all traveling on a SpaceX Dragon cargo capsule and due to splash down off the coast of Tampa tonight. So what was the point of sending up all the wine if the astronauts didn't even get to enjoy it? Science, of course! Space Cargo Unlimited is one of many organizations interested in studying the effects of space on various agricultural items to better understand both how certain consequences of climate change here on Earth may affect them, as well as how they may fare in space if they're ever consumed or grown there. Among other things, they look at factors like microgravity and radiation on the aging process of wine. As we move more towards space tourism and permanent lunar or Martian lodging, people like Nicola Gome, Space Cargo Unlimited CEO, say those explorers will want their creature comforts. Now, this particular crate of reds will remain unopened until the end of next month when they'll be tasted by a panel of experts and then undergo several more months of chemical testing, with particular attention on sedimentation and bubbles. Just imagine the markup on a bottle of 2019 Bordeaux aged in space. That is definitely going to be a thing in the future. Well, that's it for today. As always, this show is produced by Ride Home Media and Kotke.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I'm going to go work on my emoji sequencing poetry. I hope you have a great rest of your day, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.